Hey guys, we're so excited to share this message with you on the Center Set podcast. My name is Ethan and I lead worship here at Center Set. We'd love for you to download our app so that you can keep up with all that is happening in our community. Text Center Set to 77977 to download. Anyone excited for church this morning? Come on. Uh, three years ago, my wife and I, we, we started church. To, we wanted to create a church where not only Christians can come and grow in their faith, but unchurched people could come and explore their faith. So, and uh, we, we've been doing this collection of talks for the last three years called You Asked For It. And the idea is, uh, no, normally we're in a book of the Bible and, and we preach through books of the Bible. We went through Nehemiah a couple months ago. We went through First Peter. But the You Asked For It series is different because the questions come from you. Is there an echo? It sounds like I'm God in this room. <laughs> But the, the questions come from you guys. And the number one most asked question was last week was, how do I hear from God, Pastor Ali? And this week, the, it's every single year people ask this question, and it's on your screen. It says, why are women allowed to teach and preach? And I, I totally get this. Uh, I, I know you're struggling with this because some of you are like, that's Pastor Ali and that's Yasmin. And you don't call her Pastor Yasmin. Or, oh, 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 what does she do? Well, she has sex with the pastor. Which is, which is true, but she, she does way more than just that. And, and some of you, you're like, why are we even asking this question? Like, can we just go on to the next question? This is crazy. Of course they can teach and preach. And you got to understand that this, this tension is created by two verses. And it begins in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11. It says, let a woman learn quietly. Someone say amen. amen. Let's just go home. We're done. We're done with this. Come on now, of course not. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. And all the ladies said, of course you shouldn't say amen. (laughs) I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. You got to understand, there's not one man in this room who has this verse on his coffee mug in the morning. No one has this frame to put on the wall. If he does, he's going to have a dry month. You know what I'm talking about? And then the, the, the second verse that creates this tension is 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Yes, you're going to laugh and cry at center so if it's your first time. We go there. It says, a woman should remain silent in the church. They are not permitted, they are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. And it's obvious that none of you believe this because you come and you're saying hi, you're talking to other people. Like we didn't hand you a, a mask pre-COVID to all the women because you're not allowed to speak in church. And when COVID ends, the women don't come with a muzzle on their face. Right. right? So what do you do when these verses are creating this tension yet many of us don't follow that? What do you do? What's the hermeneutics? How, how do you determine what's truth and what's not? Do we go to TikTok? Do we, do we go to culture? Do we lick our finger and stick it in the air? And what does the world say? What does everyone say? And you got to understand that the church is prophetic in nature. The church speaks out against what the culture thinks and believes. Sometimes it agrees, and sometimes it doesn't. Let me give you two examples where it doesn't, and prophetically has to speak against it. The first one is the African slave trade. America was not the first country that eliminated the slave trade. It was, it was, it was in England. It was a man named William Wilberforce, and he went to the scriptures, and he said that all men are created in the image of God. And he preached in the House of Parliament, not using what culture thought, because the culture says, we need this. He went to the scriptures, and he preached against the culture. The second example is 150 years later, some of you know your church history, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a German pastor in Nazi Germany. And the Israel, the, the, the Jews were being thrown in camps. They were put in exile, and this German pastor was like, this isn't right. 
It's not just the Aryan brotherhood. That, 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 that's, it's not just the, those who have blonde hair and blue eyes that are good. It's that all men are created in the image of God. That doesn't matter your race, your ethnicity, or even your gender. Did you even know that, that Germany would put the lame and the sick and the blind outside of the city? It was not just the Jews and those who are a different race. It was those who weren't even healthy. That the, the Jews had this belief that only the healthy should live. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer spoke against this. Not only was he in prison, they executed him. So the church has this, this voice that we're not going to just do what the feminists tell us to do. We're going to preach what the, the word of God says. Yeah. That, that our, our, our hermeneutics is from the scriptures. We hold the Bible like this. Over our, it's authority over us. We don't, we don't stand on the scriptures as if I have a college education, I, I know better, we're, we're 21st century, we have an iPhone. It's not like that. Right. The scriptures tell us. Yeah. And to short answer, yes, can, can women teach and priests? Of course they can. But I tell you, this was a struggle for me for 10 years. When I got saved at 24, I went to a Southern Baptist church. And you were not allowed, women were not allowed to teach and preach. They weren't even pastors. And I remember asking, like, like are, are the women teaching and preaching? Like, oh, no, 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 you can, you don't, we don't do that here. You got to understand, I, I came out of Islam. All the pastors, what they called imams, they were all men. So it was easy for me to make that transition. But then as I began to read the scriptures, I had this tension. And I'd see women like Joyce Myers and Christine Kane. I'm like, dude, there's something that I'm missing. And I want to take you on a journey of the verses that spoke to me. Because someone who's, the people that are asking this question, you're clearly, you haven't left center set. Because if you didn't believe this, you wouldn't come here. But you're obviously asking this question because you want to know what I know and, and understand what I understand. So you can walk in faith and not just my convictions, but you want your own. So I want to give you some verses that will help you on this journey. If you're taking notes, write this down. If you're not taking notes, you want to write this down. And the first verse is this, Ephesians chapter 5, starting at verse 22. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And you gotta understand the reason, this has nothing to do with church leadership. This has nothing to do with women leading in the church. But this verse is often used as, as the reason why women can't lead. See, the men are supposed to lead. The, the, women, the men are the head of the household. The, the men are supposed to die. And because we're supposed to die like Christ died for the church, we're supposed to lead. But this is talking about a woman supposed to submit, not to every man, to one man, her husband. And if you ain't married, you don't gotta submit. And what's so crazy is this is not a verse excluding women. This is a verse yelling at the boys to be men. Don't be a wedding crash. Don't be watching porn, eating gummies, being awesome at Halo. No one cares how good you are at golf. Do you love your wife? No one cares how, good your, how much money your business generates or how big your car is, how much weights you can bench. Do you love your wife? That's what you're going to be judged against. Do you love God with all of your heart, all of your strength, all of your might? That's the greatest calling that any Christian man can have. And the number two is, do you love your wife? Not how big your business is. Not how much money it generates. If you fail in this area, you're failing as a Christian. This verse is not excluding. This is ammunition for me to yell at all the men in the room. And what I love is that when Jesus was dying for the church, there was no one at the cross. So when men come to me like, Pastor Adam, my wife doesn't follow me. Are you dying for her? Because wow. Jesus died for the church before they listened, yeah. before they obeyed. And he served and he loved and he gave when no one was there. Wow. So you better get ready to serve and die and love until she obeys. Wow. 
This is not an easy verse. This does not exclude. This is, about, this is to the men. Put your cup on because God's calling you to a higher vision. Not just to be good at halo, but to be good at death. And often, people get confused in our culture. Like, oh, no, everyone has to be equal. There's no gender distinction. And Jesus submitted to the Father, even though he was equal to the Father. And our culture is like, no, 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 there's no submission. Submission is a cuss word in our culture. But Jesus was not less than the Father. He was not below the Father. He's equal in all attributes and character, but he was willingly to submit. And women, you're not less than your husband when you submit. If you want to feel any comfort... When even when you sin, he's God's gonna come after him. How do I know this? Because when Eve ate the apple, wherever the fruit was, he went, Adam, where are you? There's that burden that men feel. We gotta protect our home, provide for our home, spiritually lead our home. Doesn't mean my wife isn't there, it's like 5149. We do it together, but there's this burden and responsibility on me. And what's crazy is there's nothing in this verse that talks about church leadership. Let me prove it to you. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. This is the primary verse that led me on this path. It begins, it says, and he. Who's he? Jesus. And what did he give? Apostles, prophets, evangelists, and shepherds and teachers. You've got to understand this verse, the context. If you read Ephesians chapter 4, it talks about how Jesus died, and he resurrected, he went to the lower realm, then he went to the upper realm, and he, he had a train of people behind him, and then he gave gifts. What is this talking about? Often we don't understand in our culture. See, in our culture, when a sports team wins, what do they do? They do a victory Parade. You're, the warriors didn't invent that. I know they, they, they're a dynasty and they went three out of five years and we, we, the Giants won 2012 and 14 and I know everyone went out with a million people. Awesome. Sports teams didn't invent that. Back then what would happen is a king would go to war and when he won, what he'd do is he'd take the other king and all the prisoners of war and he'd have a parade. And the king that won would be at the front of the parade like, oh my gosh, look how awesome I am. And someone put this on TikTok. This is going to be great. And, <laughs> and then what he'd do is he'd take all the silver and gold of the losing king. And to ensure that people came out and cheered him on, he'd throw the gifts into the crowd. And what Paul is saying is one of the signs that Jesus defeated sin and death and hell is that he's got a victory parade. Yeah. And Jesus at the front and he's throwing gifts. Is it an iPhone, Pastor Alley? Is it a PS4? Is it a gift card to Fashion Nova? Because Jesus knows that the girls in the center set aren't just righteous, they're ratchet. No, 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 no. He's, <laughs> he's got apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds. And this word shepherd, notice there's no footnote that's saying only men can do this. Right. There's no gender. There's, that, that word is. Poimain. It, it just tells you what they do, that they love, they care, they shepherd. We all know people who love and shepherd little other people. All the moms in this room are already doing that. Listen, if you want to be real, my wife is a way better pastor than I am. I'm talking to you, but I'm thinking about the next person I talk to. I'm flock focused. My wife is sheep focused. She'll look you in the eye, she'll love you. Every time she leads a group, there's like 20 people in it. I'm like paying people money to come to my group. <laughs> The only reason I got 15 people in my life group this season is because I'm leading it with her. Because <laughs> she's a way better pastor than I am. And, and you got to realize that women have already been doing this. And when Paul says these things that God gave gifts, there's, he's not, he didn't say these gifts are for the men and these gifts are for the women. He said he just gave these gifts to the church. Yeah. And often, only in America do we have this problem. I, I know friends in the Middle East. 
I have pastor friends who, who are connected to the church in China, and the, the, the two fastest growing churches in the world are in China and in Iran. And there are female apostles, female prophets, and female evangelists, and it's the women that are pushing and advancing the church. Why would I want half the church sitting on the sidelines? And it continues. And then Paul, or I'm sorry, Peter in Acts chapter 2, verse 17 he begins to speak. Jesus has just died, has just resurrected, gone to heaven, and, and the church has not been birthed yet. There's only 120 believers. This is the very first sermon that starts the New Testament church. So you think this first sermon, it must be super important. They, what are they going to talk about? They talk about Jesus dying on a cross, that Jesus is our salvation, that Jesus, we don't earn our way to heaven. We don't, we don't go to heaven by church attendance and good behavior. We go by faith. That this room is full of jokers, tokers, and midnight tokers, and we're forgiven. There's no good people in this room, just forgiven people in this room. And then Peter, he gets up and he preaches a sermon asking and commanding this, this crowd of thousands of people to turn from their sin and come to Jesus. And then he says these words, and it's significant, because these words are the words that you need to hear. And in the last days it shall be, God declares. He's quoting the prophet Joel from 800 years before Jesus dies. He says that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Somebody say all flesh. flesh. He does not say male flesh. I will pour my spirit on all flesh. On your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall dream visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. God's not wanting the women to prophesy with sign language. He's not wanting them to prophesy by writing something down and then handing it to someone else. To prophesy is to declare, to give unction, to say he wants you to speak. I remember when I was in college, I, some of these stories are, are very pagan, so forgive me, this was before I was paid to be good. This was back before I was a Christian, or I was, like many of you, I was, I was good for nothing. And when I was about 21 years old, we, we watched this movie, uh, Boys in the Hood. And we said, okay, we're going to buy 40s. We just pour a little bit out, pour oranges in. We drank it. It still tastes like paint thinner. And then we watched another one of the Hood movies, and it was, it was gin and juice. I'm like, this is disgusting. And then we watched Dumb and Dumber. And what they did is they poured laxatives in Harry. Jim Carrey poured laxatives in his friend's drink. And immediately when we go to the bathroom, we're all like, oh, my gosh. This is awesome. You, you tell a 21-year-old what, what laxatives do, of course it's going to do this. So we had this grand plan. We're going to pour laxatives in our friend's drinks, and we're going to lock the bathroom door. <laughs> Only problem, it does not work as fast as it does in the movies. In the movies, he drinks it, and like five minutes later, he has to go to the bathroom. We were sitting there for like three hours. Like, when does this guy go to the bathroom? And even though you don't say this, what you're declaring is that God pours out his spirit and that women need to go, not this way, but this way. Mm. And that God locks the door to the pulpit. Right. Be careful that your theology doesn't compare God to a 20-year-old frat student. Yeah. Right. God would never give you something and not let it come out. Right. Why would God pour out his spirit to prophesy and then not give you the opportunity to prophesy? Right. Is God just playing tricksies? Is he a frat student? Right. No, he's God. So maybe the scriptures that we read at the beginning don't mean what they think they mean. Maybe we're missing something. Yeah. Right. And then it continues. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 
But every wife who prays or prophesies. I'm confused, Pastor Allie. You just told me in chapter 14 she couldn't pray and prophesy. Now in 11 she can? Yes, because you got to understand the context. In that culture, Paul was not saying don't preach, don't prophesy. He was saying do it in order. He's saying, do it. God's not schizophrenic. He's not smoking weed like, oh my gosh, no. I changed my mind. Yes. He's not doing that. He's saying, do it in order. Because the first Corinthian church, there was massive chaos. There was disorder. And and, in that culture, women who didn't have a hair covering, they were prostitutes. Or if they were married, they're saying, I'm not under authority of any man. So these are rebellious women. God's not saying, don't preach. He's saying, preach in a certain way, with order, under authority. And then it continues in Galatians chapter 5. There is neither Greek nor Jew or Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male or female. For you are all one in Christ. Every feminist quote this verse. Like, oh my gosh, there's no distinction anymore. We're all the same. And the scripture is not saying that. This is not about gender equality or, or, or there's no distinction. He's not removing roles. This is about socioeconomic hierarchies, that the Jews were better than the Greeks, that the free were better than the slaves, that in that culture men were above the women. He's just saying this, it's equal playing field. I think it's significant that Paul is saying, you're same on the same playing field. Not that there's no roles, but this, this hierarchy is gone in Christ. Yeah. Amen? Amen? And this next verse was for me, the nail in the coffin. I couldn't debate my friends anymore. I couldn't argue. And I'm praying it does the same for you. Romans chapter 16, verse 1. Paul, I know Tom Brady today, he's got six Super Bowl champions. He's called the GOAT. Paul is the GOAT in Christianity. He's the greatest of all time. Many theologians believe if Paul didn't become a Christian, you and I would know his name like Descartes and Socrates and Aristotle. This man is brilliant. This man is a genius. And he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. And if he didn't become a Christian, he would still be famous. And look what he writes in Romans chapter 16. I commend to you our sister Phoebe. Someone say Phoebe. Phoebe. You can understand what, what would happen in the New Testament. Paul, he would write these letters to the church. But he, he couldn't go because he's on a mission trip. So he'd write the letter and he needed to give it to someone. I need you to go read this. I need you to go read this to the church. And if they have questions, I need you to not just be literate to read it. I need you to be theologically astute to understand what this letter is saying. And I need you to answer the questions during the Q&A. Yeah. So Paul is writing what many theologians believe. Romans 16 is the greatest theological, the most complex letter ever. Does he call Peter? Does he call Matthew? Does he call one of the apostles? Who does he call? He does not call the Ghostbusters, okay? He calls Phoebe, a woman. Watch what he says. That you may welcome her in the Lord. Paul gives the book of Romans to Phoebe. Go read this letter to them. And if they have questions, I want you to answer them. That's countercultural. See, in our culture, John Piper is very famously known for preaching through the book of Romans for eight years. 400 sermons. There's one distinction he does not have. The first preacher of the book of Romans was a woman. Was a woman. And then it continues. It says, and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron. Someone say patron. Patron. That means she's funding the church. She's not just serving the church. She's not just attending church. She's giving her life, her time, her talent to build the church. That's the kind of woman you want, single guys. This is the kind of ride or die that you want. Not a woman who just attends church, but a woman who's building the house of God. Amen? And Paul gives her and trusts her the letter. Two verses later, Romans 16 verse, 16 verse 3 says this. Greet Priscilla and Aquila 
Every time there's a list of people in the Bible, it lists them not from tallest to shortest or wealthiest to poorest. It ranks them in terms of leadership, which is why Peter is often in the list of 12 disciples always listed first. Prisca is listed before her husband, Achilla. What's Paul doing? He's saying she's got more leadership than her husband. That's crazy. And then it continues. My fellow workers in Jesus Christ who risk their necks for my life, for whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of, of the Gentiles give thanks as well. And Junia. Somebody shout Junia. Junia. Some of you ladies need to circle this name in the Bible. Why? Because she's my kinsman and my fellow prisoner. They are well known among the apostles. Paul calls her an apostle. Wow. How, how can a woman start churches, plant churches, begin churches? I, th I thought only men did that. Paul has a different theology than you. So we see, I, I, we have two verses that said they shouldn't speak in church. They shouldn't talk in church. They should be silent. And I just gave you 15 where they could. Yeah. 15 where they, they should. 15 where the, the Spirit of God is coming out and they want to speak. They want to prophesy. They want to preach. God wants to use them. We have women leading the church, preaching the church, prophesying the church. So let me go back to the original question. It says, why are women allowed to teach and preach? Why? Let me give you five reasons. That, that right, what I just gave you was my introduction. <laughs> Let me give you five good reasons why a woman should not remain silent in church, why she should not learn in quietness. And number one is this. It was a specific problem at a specific church. Paul was addressing something very specific. Paul wrote 11 of the 27 books of the New Testament. And, and in all of the other books that he wrote, he says nothing like this. For example, in, in, in Colossians chapter 3, he says this, verse 15. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and psalms from the Spirit. Singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. He's telling us how to be the church, that we're supposed to sing in church, that we're supposed to teach in church. And then he says, I want you to do these things. He does not say men do these things. He said, I want you to do these things, assuming it was men and women. So what is Paul saying? Maybe it doesn't mean what you think it means. Maybe he's addressing a specific problem in a specific church, and it leads us to point number two. Yeah. You got to understand this. The churches used to be separated by gender, that on one side the women would sit, on the other side the men would sit. Some of you are like, I wish we went back to there, <laughs> right? I want to sit next to all my ladies, right? You got to understand, like, in this culture, women were property. It was like handmaid's tale. You just have babies and go home. And now for the very first time, Christianity is not just including them to come, but empowering them to lead. Yeah. And these women, they weren't just not allowed to work. They weren't allowed to go to school. So they're illiterate. So now for the very first time, you have women in church and you have men in church. And the lady's like, what's that guy saying? Bruno, what's he, why is his jeans so tight? Bruno, what, what, is he, what does he mean? And they're literally yelling from across the room. And then the guy, Bruno, and like, oh my God, why did I marry this woman? And he's trying to, he has to yell the answer back, honey, it means the Spirit of God's poured into you too. And imagine how chaotic the church service would be if all the ladies on this side are yelling to that side and the husband has to yell the answer back. Well, what should be a 35, 45 minute sermon becomes like a two hour sermon because I'm getting interrupted every five seconds. And Paul is speaking specifically to that problem. He's, he's talking about chaos. If you read the book of 1 Corinthians, it's all chaos. There's a part in, the, in that book where he's like, bro, don't get drunk on the communion. It's about Jesus. And another time he's like, bro, don't have sex with your mom. It's not his real mom, it's his stepmom, but they're doing that problem. He's like, bro, don't sue each other. It's like chaos after chaos. It's like Christians gone wild. 
And then he's talking, guys, your, your church services are crazy. No one wants to come. You're interrupting everyone. You're speaking over each other. There's no chaos. There's no order. I want you to remain silent. Not forever, but just in that situation. And every husband who watches a movie with his wife knows exactly what I'm talking about. It's inception. You're in the third dimension. Where are we? I don't know. Or it's Avengers Endgame. Is he going to snap his fingers? Is everyone going to die? I don't know, honey. Silencio Bruno. For those of you that watch Luca, you know what I'm talking about. I don't want my wife to always be silent. I'm just saying right now in this situation, I don't know, honey. That's what Paul is doing. He's not saying don't be silent. He's saying turn church because you're illiterate. And he wants you to be filled with his spirit. And he wants you to lead. And if there's one message that I want to speak to your heart, ladies, is that it's biblical for you to lead. It's biblical for you to preach. Don't let the misinterpretation of these verses hold you back from what God wants. Number three, this one is convicting. The book of 1 Timothy wasn't written to a church, but to a pastor. Timothy is a pastor. Never went to seminary. His, his, his dad's not a Christian. His, his grandmother led him to the faith. And now many theologians believe he's leading the largest church in the world in Ephesus, 5,000 people. Imagine preaching to five. I got speakers. I got a headphone. He's preaching to 5,000 people in an open room. It's crazy. He's overwhelmed. He doesn't know what to do. So he writes a letter to his, 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 his mentor, Paul. He says, Paul, I am freaking the freak out. Every Sunday, my butt cheeks are clenched in the name of Jesus. Help a brother out. And he's asking for help. And Paul writes him a letter. He does not write the second book of Ephesians. He writes 1 Timothy. Who is 1 Timothy written to? Some of you are like, Joey? I don't know. <laughs> Timothy, of course. It's a private letter to Timothy. And the, the Nicene Creed at 300 BC, according to Constantine, said this is divine. The Spirit of God wrote this. Every Christian should read this, not just Timothy. You got to understand, Timothy was deal dealing with a specific problem in his specific church. If Paul wanted something to be for all churches, in all nations, in all cultures, he would call it Romans. He called Ephesians. He called Colossians. Those are the names of the churches. He did not write 1 Timothy to a church. He wrote to a pastor. Because in Timothy's church, there was this God named Artemis. She was the god of sex. And so all these women are like, single ladies, oh my gosh. And they take their head covering off. Like, I don't need to be married anymore. I don't even have sex with my husband anymore. The end is coming. And Paul's like, dude, time out. Tell those women to be silent. Because although they may have the gift of leadership, let them learn in submission. With a head covering. Because you can't just, no one cares if you're leading a business outside the church. But if, in here, so I'm going to have a mic. So anyone can just come up and speak it. In the same way, Paul's saying the same thing. That he's addressing a specific problem in a specific church. But I'm confused, Pastor Allen. In chapter 11, he says, preach. In chapter 14, he says, don't. Why is he saying, don't those things contradict one another? And that's true. But let me remind you, the scriptures does do this all the time. Go to the book of Proverbs. It says in one chapter, don't rebuke a fool. Because you'll look like a fool. Because he won't listen to you. The very next verse, or very next chapter says, rebuke the fool and you'll save his life. Which one are you supposed to do? Rebuke them or don't rebuke them? Wisdom. Because knowledge is knowing what to do. Wisdom is knowing when and how to do it. You need wisdom. 
So sometimes the scriptures will contradict. Let me give you another example. 1 Corinthians 7, Paul says, don't get married. Be single and ready to mingle. Because you can serve God better this way. You, you, you're not held down by a mortgage or a kid or a wife and a dog. Now you can serve God with everything. Be single like me. But if you're horny, go get married. And here we are, room full of horny people who couldn't be single. Why? Why did you not get married when Paul told you not to? Because in 1 Timothy chapter 4, he says, go get married. Go have lots of kids. Go have sex. So which one is it? Don't get married or get married? Wisdom. So when Paul says, be silent and preach, which one is it? You need wisdom. If you look at the scriptures, there are 80 verses, 80 women leading, women preaching, women in leadership roles. There are 15 that I just gave you of where they are prophesying and leading and praying in the church and two that they're not. You're not going to use two to cancel out the other 80. Don't do that. Because then there are other parts of the Bible where they contradict it and you don't listen to those parts because you're married. Obviously because you're horny. You need it. That's the whole point. If the scriptures... 1 Timothy was not written to a church, it's written to a person. Point number four. There's no mention this applies only to church. See, he says, I do not permit a woman to have authority over a man, which means we apply that to sports, school, elementary school. Women can't be referees. Women can't be elementary school teachers. Women can't be police officers, can't be CEOs. Are you sure you, you want to apply that verse the way it's written? Because it does not say a woman can't have authority over a man in the church. It just says generally. Which, which means, like, you should not put your children in a school that has a female elementary school teacher. Because if you believe that, you're really silent about that. No one believes that. So why do you specifically apply it only to the church? It, listen, it doesn't even make logical sense to do that. Not only that, it doesn't even make linguistic sense. That it says, I don't give, per, permit a woman. That word woman is often translated wife. To have authority over a man, that word man is often translated husband. He's speaking about husband and wives. How do I know this? First Timothy chapter 2, if you read the, the last three verses, talk about Adam and Eve, another married couple. What if the Bible is very clear, but you and I are just misinterpreting it? What if you've been sitting on the sidelines? Afraid to be used by God. Because I don't know, only men. Maybe God brought me to this church so I hear the gospel. That Paul had Phoebe, he had Julia, he had Prisca, these women that were apostles, these women that were teachers, these women that were evangelists, leading, funding the church. I wish I had another hour. I'd show you all the verses where Jesus had female disciples. He was the only one in the first century who did that. Luke chapter 8, if you want to go read it. These female disciples were funding his ministry. It's crazy. This is point number five, and this one's my favorite. The women should learn. Women should learn. Women should learn. That, the reason why you women aren't standing up and giving Jesus a round of applause because you're living in the privilege of his sacrifice. Because back then, it was like Handmaid's Tale. You would just have sex and have babies and nothing else. And Christianity was the first religion that said, no, you should learn. 
Did you know that 123 of the 125 universities in America were first Christian universities to teach men and women the scriptures? I know Harvard and Yale and all the Ivy League schools are no longer, they're secular now, but they began as Christian universities because it was the Christians who take the marginalized. It was the Christians who take those that are the weakest and the lowest in society and say, no, 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 I know no one else loves you. I know no one else values you, but you're, you're worthy. See, when the scriptures talk about sinners, it's not just those who are morally deficit. It's those who are lame, those who are blind, those who are sick. The theology of the day was like, you must have done something. Either you or your parents. And often those people, they would live in different cities. Because you weren't allowed to come around the healthy people. And Jesus was a friend of sinners. He would go to those in society that no one loved. Those that were sick, the lepers, the lame, the blind. That no one valued. He said, you're valuable. And it was Jesus who went to women. Say God wants to pour out his spirit on you. He wants you to prophesy. He wants you to lead. That the kingdom of God wants to advance. And it's not just the men. He wants to use the women. So as Christians, we agree and disagree with the feminists. We agree that they're equal partners in ministry. But the feminists go too far. And so the problem of the world is men. Let's get rid of the men. Jesus does not get rid of the men. He redeems the men. He says, no, no, no. Time to stop smoking weed, playing Halo, being awesome in golf, driving an F-150, and looking for a wife who will have a job so you can stay home with your buddies. No. It's time to go be a man. And love your wife. And die for your wife. And serve your wife. The problem with the world is not men. It's sin. Jesus doesn't eliminate the man. He just simply redeems them. I remember reading the book, Every Man's Battle, 15 years ago. And the book, the author, is a pastor, talks about how every man struggles with, with our eyes. He talks about how he just bought a brand new Mercedes Benz. He's driving down the street, and he sees a girl in a crop top, and he's looking, and he crashes his car. I said, this girl driving. Imagine going home and telling your wife, uh, I don't know what happened, uh, I remember telling my friends at church, some of the male and female, all girls, like, oh my gosh, you guys are pigs. Why do you do that? Oh my gosh. Men are always like, just thinking about, no. Men are not the problem. Sin's the problem. Sin is the problem. And boys become men when they give their life to Jesus. Ladies, it is beautiful, it is biblical, and we need you. Why Sarah preached last week. She, she didn't talk. She preached. She did a great job. We her My gift is a fellow, an apostle. I start to think. My wife, she's a prophetic gift. What's that mean, Pastor Elliot? Prophets call the culture. They, she'll snatch her wig right out of her head. So I hope it will weave. It's not Pastor Ali, it's Pastor Yasmin. And Pastor Allen. And my dream is not to be the hero in this church, but to raise you up so that God can use you. Because He didn't just pour His Spirit in ours, He's poured His Spirit on all flesh. On all flesh. Amen.
Thanks so much for listening. We hope this message impacted you and inspires you to draw closer to Jesus. Subscribe to this podcast and give us a follow on Instagram at Centerset Church to keep up with all that God is doing in our community. Also, we'd love to be in prayer with you. If you have any prayer requests, please send them to info at centerset.church.